week nine, call on his name. Little recap, we're going to be in uh, 2 Kings chapter 1 tonight. <clears throat> but last week, we saw that Ahab has died after not listening to the voice of God. Jehoshaphat, in the middle of a battle with Ahab that Ahab actually died in, Jehoshaphat turned to the Lord, and what did he do? He called on the name of God. He cried out to him, and, and God literally rescued him out of a battle that he should have never been in. We talked about that, that sometimes you can get in the middle of fights that you were never meant to get in. You can get into battles that you were never meant to, to go through, but you don't have to live a life thinking, well, it just sucks to be me, and God's turned his back. In that moment, all you've got to do is call out to God, and he says, I can redeem all your steps and make it work together for your good. Amen? Jehoshaphat had a great reign as the king. He had the people worshiping God. He was sending out teachers throughout the entire land, just really giving God praise. There were some things he didn't get to accomplish, but all in all, the scripture tells us that he had an amazing reign as a king. Well, the last three verses of 1 of Kings chapter 22 we did not read, so I want to start off with those to kind of set us up for what we're going into today. 1 Kings 22, verses 51 through 53. Ahaziah, son of Ahab, began to rule over Israel in the 17th year of King Jehoshaphat's reign in Judah. <clears throat> he reigned in Samaria two years. It's a pretty short reign. You know, most of the kings are reigning a little bit longer than 24 months. But he did what was evil in the Lord's sight. <clears throat> Following the example of his father and mother and the example of Jeroboam, son of Naboth, who had led Israel to sin. He served Baal and worshipped him, provoking the anger of the Lord, the God of Israel, just as his father had done. <clears throat> if you remember, Ahab had a very short repentance. And God basically said, I'm still going to judge you for what you've done, but all the things that I've said you were going to have to deal with, your sons are going to walk out that sentence, if you will, from God. Well, this two-year reign with Ahaziah, that was the prophecy that Elijah gave of God saying, hey, you've repented, you're still going to die, but all the stuff I said you're going to carry out in your lifetime, it's actually about to be carried out in this two-year span of uh, Ahaziah. And with this reign and the reign of Jeroboam's son, who even though Jeroboam was a great king, his son married someone he shouldn't have. Y'all remember who that was? It was Jezebel's daughter. If you don't know, if you haven't been with us, Jezebel was a, was a woman that was married to King Ahab and a spirit was working through her to, to manipulate him and get him to do what she wanted him to do. Y'all ever know women like that? It's just women. Men are never guilty of manipulation, ever. That's a joke. For those of you that might not know me, just chill out. His son married Jezebel's daughter and she went down the path of Jezebel and Ahab, doing all this evil in the eyes of God. Well, it went from a land that Jehoshaphat led getting back to God, where the land was going back to Baal worship, and Israel was back in this position under leaders that put God in the back seat instead of lifting up the one true God. Sounds a lot like America, if you ask me. We're in this place where We've tried to spread God throughout the land. We, we have God and, and pledges and, and anthems and all these kind of things. But really, when you look at America, I don't, I'm not sure if I see a country who is under the name of Jesus. 
I, I, I see nowadays where to lift up the name of Jesus will get you in more trouble than anything. People don't like it. People shun it. And we've got to get back to a day where no matter what the cost is, we call on the name of the Lord to say, we need you back in every part of our lives. When we've got a country that recognizes 67 gender choices, we've got a problem. Amen? Let me just get real. You can call a gender, you can do gender stuff all you want, but there's only one way you make a baby. All right? <laughs> okay. We've got to get back to where God is the God of the land, and when God is not the God of the land, he's going to get involved. And sometimes it's not how we want him to get involved, but if we would just come into agreement with him, we'd be in a good place. Well, coming in 2 Kings 1, this is a dynamic. God is no longer really the God of the land. He's got a few people on him, but they're all going back to Baal. Well, in verse 1 of 2 Kings 1, it says, After King Ahab's death, the land of Moab rebelled against Israel. One day, Israel's new king Ahaziah fell through the latticework of an upper room at his palace in Samaria and was seriously injured. So he sent messengers to the temple of Baal Zebub. Hmm. Interesting. Someone just said Baal? Are y'all alive? Baal? Zebub. The god of Ekron to ask whether he would recover. Well, as we talked about last week, Ahab's reign was basically a spiritual disaster. However, he did really well on a couple things. He did good in politics because, you know, he was the king. He did what he wanted. He, he took care of what he wanted to do. He established different things. And he had a lot of economic prosperity. In the last chapter, we talked about crystal palaces and, and all these kind of crazy things. So when Ahab died... Because he, military, military, political, economic, he was a powerhouse. You know, just because you're strong in those areas doesn't mean you're giving God glory. See, see, the church don't like to talk about that. There's plenty of people that do well who don't know God. Why? Because God put gifts in them and they can choose whether or not to use those gifts for the glory of God or the glory of self. I mean, let's get real. There's plenty of people who do amazing things that don't give God any glory. I've said it more than one time, but I'll say it again, and you might not like this, but Adolf Hitler was a very gifted leader. He convinced an entire nation that it was a good idea to eradicate a race. That takes leadership. That takes marketing. He wasn't stupid. Can you imagine if he would have done that for the glory of God? He had a gift that he abused. Ahab had a gift. It was abused. So when Ahab died, the, the country was, you know, the, the, it, was a, it was a fortified area, but the, lo, the land of Moab thought, this is a great opportunity to rebel because the leader that kept us in Israel's dominion is dead, and if there's ever a time to rebel, now's the time, right? So Moab, who had been under Israel really since David was a king, Moab's like, it's time to rebel. And the fact that they were rebelling at this time showed that Israel's power was starting to decline as a result of God judging the land. I don't find it uh, surprising that the more away we move from God, the more the country 
gets more miserable to live in. Because when you get out of his covering, you open yourself up to the invitation of a lot of stuff that you should have never had to deal with. It's the same thing in our personal lives. You want blessing, but when you don't live according to God, you wonder why you're in the same rut called crap. Anybody been there? I've been there. So nations can be great economically and in the government, but when God judges a thing, nothing you can do can outdo what God's going to do. Israel was strong, but weak. Psalm 9017 says this, May the Lord our God show us his approval and make our efforts successful. Yes, make our efforts successful. You see, we need to have this understanding that success in our eyes and success in God's eyes are two different things. It says, Lord, make our efforts successful that will show us that you approve of what we're doing. In other words, God says, let what we do stand and never waver and never fall into the enemy's hands. How can we get to a place where we're standing and we're not falling and we're not going backwards and the enemy is not getting ground? Well, it's simply this. The scripture says, may the Lord God show his approval and make our efforts successful. The way God makes your efforts successful is when every effort is under his leading. You don't get to do what you want and then say, God bless it. Okay, let me say that again. <laughs> you don't get to do what you want and say, God bless it. When you do what you want and you're going in the wrong direction, the only way God blesses it is when you do this thing called repentance and turn the other way and change directions and change your ways. God's not going to bless a place that he never predestined you to walk into because it wasn't his plan. It's like people try to get God to come into agreement with us instead of us coming into agreement with him. You can have all the stuff, yet in a moment all efforts can fail, all efforts can fall, because God has not shown his approval on what you've done. And when God doesn't show approval on what you've done, a rebellion can happen very easily. When you're not leading your home unto God, a rebellion can happen very easily. Whether it's a rebellion in your marriage, a rebellion with your kids, a rebellion with the in-laws, sometimes people got to be cut off because you're pursuing God and they don't get it. The Bible says, be willing to lose everyone in pursuit of me. But when you are leading your home in a godly way, God says, I'm going to approve your efforts of leading the home. But don't think I'm going to approve your efforts if you're trying to lead on your accord and not my accord. And you can put that on everything. You can put that in your job. You can put that in your church life. You can, everything. God, let me follow what you want. Because if you don't, a rebellion can happen. Even though you look successful in the eyes of the world. And in this rebellion, they were not putting God first. It says God was upset again with the people. And so, of course, Ahab dies and they are open to attack. In this rebellion, one day, Ahaziah, he falls through some lattice work. Dang. And he was seriously injured. 
And what I noticed when I read this is look what happened again in verse, uh, where was it? Um, verse, verse 2, it says, He fell through the lattice work, and he sent messengers to the temple of Baalzebub, or the god of Ekron. In other words, when he fell through the lattice work, look who he cried to. He cried to Baal. He cried to a false god. And when you fall in life, who you call out to will show where your true worship is devoted to. Because what we love to do is when we fail, we love to call on God last. Because you don't like what he's got to say. Because you say you believe in God, but you don't believe in his ways, you don't believe in his thoughts, you don't uh, 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 believe in what he says to do. You want to make God fit in your tiny box, and you wonder why you are in this box for the rest of your life. That is not how, God does not change to fit your mold of him. He says, let me mold you to understand my ways, my thoughts, and desires, even though they're above you, but let me take you on this journey of following me on the way to an understanding. You see, what's funny is in the New Testament, Baal, Zebub, is referred to as Beelzebub. And if you know that name, Beelzebub, it's actually the New Testament, it was a name for Satan. So in a moment, Ahaziah, he fell you know, he had one of those Kyle moments where you're clumsy and you fall and you get hurt. And in that moment when he fell and injured, the first thing he did was want to go to the false temple. He wanted to go to the false god. It showed where all his devotion was. Jehoshaphat got called out to Yahweh and he got rescued. Ahaziah called out to a false god. And I believe so many of us, we don't even know it, but when we get hurt or when we need something, the last thing we do is call out to God, yet you say you're his child. This is a little embarrassing, and this is one of those, like, like moments where I'm admitting something that I'll, I will, you know, like, come against after church is done. But I am a mama's boy. <laughs> I see it. I rebuke that. When, when I need something, when I need help with something, when I need advice, other than God, because, you know, I'm, I'm perfect. I go to mama. When I'm hungry, mama, you got any food? You know, like, you know, you know, even though I, you know, I, you know, I'm a grown adult, do my own things, make my own money. You know, I still go to mama because I'm her son. And one of my first go-tos is I'm going to go to mama. And I believe that that's really the posture we're supposed to have with our daddy, with our daddy God. We forget that to abide and we sing a song all the time, it's Abba Father. That means Daddy God. We forget that if we are sons and daughters of God, why don't we go to our daddy? And for some of us, we've had bad relationship with our parents, so we don't like the term dad. So we treat him like our earthly, is that, that too much? When God says, I'm here for your every need, all you got to do is call out to me, but we call out to everyone else. We ask our work friends. We ask our, our family. And let's be honest, most of the people in our work and our family, they're the last people we need to get advice from. And God's like, I'm here at your disposal. Call on my name. 
Romans 10, 11 through 13 says this. As the scriptures tell us, anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. Never. Look at Jehoshaphat. He was in a battle trying to come against God. He called out and God rescued him. Why? Anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. Jew and Gentile are the same in this respect. They have the same Lord who gives generously to who? All who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And many people want to be saved from many situations, but they call on everything else. In Psalm 91, verses 14 through 15, it says, The Lord says, I will rescue those who love me. I want to stay right there for a second. <clears throat> I will rescue those who love me. Love is an action. Not a feeling. You can say you love God, but if nothing about your life has been postured into submitting to him and worshiping him and adopting his ways and sacrificing yours, you can say you love him all you want, but the fact of the matter is, you don't. That's why the Bible says many will call on my name and I will say to them, I never knew you. Just because you got baptized in church and you call on the name of Jesus does not mean that you are saved. Just because you got on the church membership where half the deacons are needing Jesus don't mean you're saved. You've got to love him. There's an action required. There is submission required. There's a lifestyle and a posture of worship required. It says, I will rescue those who love me. I will protect those who trust in my name. When they call on me, I will answer. I'll be with them in trouble. I will rescue and honor them. And we read these passages, but do you see the resource that God puts right in front of you? If you call on me, I'll answer. I'll be with you. I'll rescue you. I'll honor you. We cannot take on the mindset of this whole Jesus has got my back because I'm saved thing. Why? Because if you're saved, that means you know the one that you have access to do what? Call upon. But it takes an action. It's not just God will just take care of me. It's I've got to call on him when I need him. And we've, we've led this life in the Christian faith where we just think, because I'm saved, God's going to take care of everything that I want. That's not how it works, and that is a false gospel. That is a get-the-butts-in-the-seat gospel. That's a let me encourage you, even though I'm giving you stuff that ain't going to work for you. I don't want to tell people, just believe in he's got your back. I want to tell them the truth. You've got to do something. You've got to call on him. You've got to trust him. You've got to love him. You've got to put yourself before him. And he promises, if you do these things, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. I will never not answer you. I will rescue you. I will protect you. But you've got to do something. Call. Well, you don't have to be a part of a church to love God. That's against what the Bible says. Don't forsake the gathering of the saints. When two or more gather, I will be among them. When there's agreement in two or more, I will do it. You being apart from the church puts you in the most vulnerable place for attack. Well, I don't want to do this. Well, 
That shows how much you truly love the one that you think is going to take care of you, but you don't know how to call upon his name because you're not connected with believers to teach you how to call upon his name. But that's what the church tries to sell these days, right? That's not what my Bible tells me. Is this okay? Okay. If you're saved, you know the one that you can call upon, but you still got to call on him. So Ahaziah falls for this last work. He calls out to Beelzebub, and in verse 3 it says this. But the angel of the Lord told Elijah, who was from Tishbe, go and confront the messengers of the king of Samaria and ask them, is there no God in Israel? Why are you going to to Baal Zebub, the god of Ekron? Why are you going to him to ask whether the king will recover? Now, therefore, this is what the Lord says. You'll never leave the bed you're lying on. You're going to die. Dang, God. What happened to I call upon and he didn't call upon the Lord. He called upon a false god. He called upon a god that ain't going to answer him. He said, you're going to surely die. So Elijah went to deliver the message. God told Elijah, get this message to the king. He said, is is there no God in Israel? Say, why is everyone going to everything but me? Is there no God in America? Why is everyone going to everything but me? You think the answer to your finances is Democrat or Republican? Oh, I'm going to dabble a little bit. You think the answer to high gas prices is who was elected? Some of y'all said, yeah. I'll give you that. But if we were representing God the right way, what if the one who was elected who was responsible for gas prices bowed before the name of Jesus and there was a There was a turnaround. There was a repentance. A very famous religious guy, you probably never heard of him, Gandhi. He said a very popular phrase, I would have become a Christian had I never met one. It's like we're the only people who claim we know the God, but we don't live according to the God we say we believe in. Ahaziah, why are you talking to this nobody when you know you can call on the God of your ancestors? It's not like he didn't know the idea of God. He just didn't like the idea that he had to call on him. He wanted his own God, his own ways. And because he asked help from a false God, he wasn't going to get help, and God says, you're going to die. Now, here's the catch. We think when we hear God say, well, you're going to die like that, that it was like this judgment call. But there's a little bit more going on than what meets the eye. You see, when we read this passage, you're going to die, we think it's God's judgment on Ahaziah, but it was a little something different. In this time period, in the days of Elijah, when people would seek their gods about a medical issue, the result was either you're going to live or you're going to die. It wasn't like they had great hospitals back then, right? So when they were at a point where dudes falling through lattice work, you know, through a story or two, and he's injured, He was actually asking, am I going to die or am I going to live based off of my medical condition? 
And in verse 4, when God says, you will surely die, God wasn't necessarily judging him in that moment with a death sentence. God said, Ahaziah, he says to his messengers, you're asking the wrong thing, and you won't get an answer by asking the wrong thing. You won't get healed. You won't be redeemed. So because you're asking the wrong thing, you're going to die because you never came to me, the one who actually gives life. And so many are full of pride that they will go to anyone else for answers and never go to God. And we wonder why our life is in decay instead of producing what the Bible says, life and life more abundantly. John 10, 9 through 10 says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. He, and he will go in and out and find passenger, uh, I'm sorry, pasture. The thief does not come except to steal, kill, and to destroy. I've come that they may have life and they have it more abundantly. If you want life in all the things you do, find it in God. Don't try to find it in anything else. Who do you call upon? Who do you call upon when you get frustrated about things going on in politics? Who do you call upon when you get frustrated when things go into economics? Because uh, I see a lot of responses that people have when stuff happens that we don't like. You don't realize it, but the person you're calling upon is probably Satan. Because instead of praying into it and covering it, you're complaining about it, and you're causing more divide, and the enemy's sitting back going, they're doing a better job than I can. We're supposed to bless our enemies and pray for our enemies. See, we don't like that part of the Bible. And really, if you think about it, Ahaziah, he was getting this message from God that was actually full of mercy. If you'd lived a life like Ahaziah, totally against God, and God says you are going to die, that means he had plenty of time to make a decision to say, let, let me make sure my life is solid and I'm going to turn on Baal and accept Yahweh so that my life is secure. Really and truthfully, what he told him was a way to repent, a way to submit. But Ahaziah wasn't doing that. He was all about my gods and my ways. Well, in verse 5, <clears throat> when the messengers returned to the king, he asked them, why have you returned so soon? Because remember, the messengers were supposed to go where? To the temple of Baal. On the way to the temple, they got interrupted by a random dude named who? Elijah. So these messengers just talked to Elijah, and then they turned around and went back to the king without fulfilling the king's assignment. You don't do that in the kingdom. That may be how a democracy works, but in a kingdom, when the king says do it, you do it. And if you don't, usually the outcome is death. So they meet Elijah, and they didn't even know who he was. They just met this random dude out in the street who said, hey, I got this message from God. He going to die because he ain't calling out to God. And they're like, all right, we'll take that message to him. Verse 6, they replied, because why have you come back so soon? They replied, well, a man came up to us and told us to go back to the king and give them the message. This is what the Lord said. Is there no God in Israel? Why are you sending men to Beelzebub, the God of Ekron, to ask whatever they will cover? Therefore, what, because you've done this, they will never leave the bed you're lying on. You will surely die. 
So the king says, what sort of man are you talking about? What did he look like? They replied, he was a hairy man. See, for all, all you hairy men, that's a sign of anointing. And he wore a leather belt around his waist. Elijah from Tishbe, the king exclaimed. The messengers were on their way on an assignment from the king, and on the way, Elijah gave them God's message. But pay attention, they did not know it was Elijah, yet they obeyed the strange man's word and fulfilled his command to go back to King Ahaziah. In other words, the messengers obeyed true authority, and they didn't even realize it. There is power and an authority that is real when you submit to a lifestyle of seeking God. And Isaiah 40, 29 says, he gives power to the weak and strength to the powerless. In Luke 9, 1, it says, one day Jesus called together 12 disciples and gave them what? Power and authority to cast out demons and heal all diseases. John 14, 12, I'll tell you the truth. Anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done and even greater works because I'm going to be with the Father. I'm, let me just pause right there. Anyone who ever tells you that the gifts of God left with, when Jesus went, when Jesus left, show them th this verse. Jesus says, because I'm leaving, you're going to do greater things than me, and you're going to do the same things that I did. Like, literally, you can't get around that verse. Well, I don't believe in gifts of the Spirit because they left when Jesus left. Well, this verse Jesus is talking, I'm leaving, so I'm giving you the same abilities that I had, and you're going to do things that made me look less. Why? Because you carry the authority and power that he made you right to hold. The reason he, he spilt his blood and broke his body on the cross was to make you righteous. That means make you worthy to do things that you lost the right to do. What do we lose the right to do in the garden? Have dominion. So Jesus says, let me get this right. I want you to have dominion. I want you to have authority. I want you to have power. Acts 4.33, the apostles testify powerfully. To the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and God's great blessing was upon them all. So why aren't we walking in that? Why don't we see that? Why don't we see a day when people get healed of COVID by the laying on the hands instead of six feet distancing? Right? What, 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 when are we going to see a day when, can, can I just tell you what my theology is, which it's correct? God has appointed every man to die. That means he has a time for you to die. That means he plans a time for you to die. But because of free will, you can be a victim of happenstance and die outside of your appointed time. In other words, God did not plan for a 10-year-old to die in a car wreck. So if things happen outside of an appointed time, could it be that he's put something in you to heal the person that was dying so that they would be resurrected to live out unto their appointed time? But we don't like that idea because it's too big and it's too much like Jesus, but he says, I gave you that authority. 
Well, why don't I walk in it? Do you even love him? Do you even pursue him? Do you put all his ways in front of you? What are you doing to merit what you wish you had? Well, the Bible says it's not about works. I'm not talking about your salvation. I'm talking about your response to salvation. Is this, is this too much? Okay. Why aren't we walking in it? Why don't we see it? Maybe, maybe some of us have authority and you don't even realize it. I had a light bulb come off when I was writing this message. I actually wrote this down. I was thinking, you know, every time I get in a conversation with, with people with theology and COVID and all these things, and we start talking, they end up just attacking me instead of having a conversation. You want to know why? Because there's an authority in me that knows what we're supposed to do and the thing that's got them convinced of what we're not supposed to do, they can't talk to me in the conversation, so they attack the thing that they can't handle. And it's not me. And you've got that. Does that make any sense? Think about it. Jesus was raising people from the dead, and they still called him a liar. They attacked him with the accusation instead of trying to talk to him about the truth. <laughs> I mean, think about the, the prison guard that came and, you know, like Peter cut his ear off and Jesus is like, man, man Peter, just chill. And, and he put his hand on, the, on the, the, the guard and his ear grew back. You would think at that moment he would, he would have been like, hey, guys, um, are y'all sure we arresting the right dude? <laughs> and maybe we don't have the authority at times, because maybe it's not your battle, maybe it's not your time, maybe it's not his will for you to walk into those things. There's a double side to that. Or maybe you think his power is like an account where you can just get it when you need it without the passcode of seeking in relationship. Well, I believe in Jesus. Jesus, give me the power to raise the dead. Who are you? You ain't talked to me since you got saved 40 years ago. So Ahaziah was like, hold up. What kind of man did you give that gave you a message that made you obey him instead of your king? And they're like, he was hairy with a leather belt. But here's something interesting. The Hebrew word here for he was a hairy man, actually it was more so he was a possessor of hair. In other words, they were actually referring to his clothing. He was covered in animal skins. He was a prophet. See, that's why when priests saw John the Baptist, who was a man that lived in the wilderness covered in animal skins, they said, are you Elijah? <laughs> why? Because he was wearing the stuff that a true prophet wore, like in the days of Elijah. They would wear a rough garment as a sign of a pattern of repentance. Not necessarily repentance for them, but they were repenting on the behalf of the people. You might know the term as sackcloth. They would wear and be covered in sackcloth. They would be covered in these rough animal skins. It was a public way of expressing sorrow 
that the people were doing something wrong. Prophets wore them because they, were, because they were pleasing on behalf of the people. And even Zechariah said that many would put on these clothes who are false prophets. In other words, there should be something that should distinguish you as a man or woman of God. And many like to wear the clothes but have no idea who God is. I like to call those preachers. Why y'all say amen? I mean, I'm, but really, the church as a whole, we say we're men and women of God, and we do all the right things. We carry our Bible. We have our Bible app. You know, it's, 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 it's on the last page of your phone. You know, we, 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 we say we pray, and, you know, we, we go to church, but is anything about your life really in submission? You have the appearance thereof, but you're not really in love with him and walking out and really a child of him. I mean, think about the typical American response. Are, are, do you believe in Jesus? Yeah, I go to church. That's not what I ask. They do and they say the right things. They do the acts. They do the prophetic examples, but there's nothing in them true. But something was different about Elijah. And the authority of God was recognized immediately, so immediate that the messengers fled from his presence and went back to the evil king. And if you're seeking God and walk in a covering by him, those with a false message, they will. those that whisper thoughts of demons, when demons themselves whisper in your ear, they will flee from you instead of, instead of you agreeing with them when you speak and walk in his name. Why do I keep on getting attacked? We always want an outside source to help us from the attack instead of taking an evaluation of ourselves first and saying, God, is there anything about me that I have not laid down? See, there is a protocol. It's not one without the other. So the king knew when he heard that that dude was covered in hairy animal skins and all, he's oh, yeah, that's, that's that prophet. Verse 9. <laughs> this is funny because everyone knows about when Elijah called down fire on Mount Carmel. But we forget about these. He sent an army captain with 50 soldiers to arrest him. And they found him sitting on top of a hill. And the captain said to him, Man of God, the king's commanded you come down with us. This would make a really good movie, by the way. You see, you know authority is recognized when the king sends 50 people and, and a captain to take one dude dressed in bear skin. And look at what the captain identified him as. Man of God. If they knew he was a man of God, they should have submitted to him and resisted an order from the king that was not of God. You see, the Bible says we are to submit to governing authorities, but you don't submit to governing authorities when it's direct opposition to submitting to God himself. These 50 men should have refused but they didn't. And watch what happens in verse 10. Elijah replied to the captain, if I am a man of God, let fire come down from heaven and destroy you and your 50 men. And then fire fell from heaven and killed them all. That's why I don't get invited to coffee much anymore. Notice Elijah said, if I am. Elijah didn't say, 
Oh, you know it. I'm a man of God. Oh, you know it. You know what I, he, no, what he said, well, if I am. You see, Elijah couldn't call down fire from heaven without permission. So Elijah was basically saying, God, if I'm in the right position and they're in the wrong one, judge them. But if I am not in your will, you'll show it to me by not sending down fire. See, he was asking God to judge the situation. If I am, send it down. And there are so many times where we call on the name of God for selfish purposes and revenge when we should call on his name, not for him to judge a thing, not to ask him to respond to something that we judged. Because a lot of times we'll judge something that happened to us and we'll say, God, make it happen. No, 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 no. That's the time to say, God, what do you want to do with this thing? We are called to judge things. That's a fault. You ever heard a preacher say, we're not called to judge? That's a false doctrine. The Bible says we are called to judge the acts of men, but not men. But let him confirm it, not you ask him to come into agreement with your judgment. See, we're about to see the stubborn nature of a king who's got no respect for fear of the one true God. Because Elijah is saying, God, you judge this. If I'm a man of God, bring down fire and kill them all. God's like, all right, he did it. Now, you would think a smart king would have been like, all right, I get it. I'm out. But look what happens in verse 11. So the king sent another captain with 50 men. The captain said to him, man of God? The king demands that you come down at once. Elijah replied, well, if I'm a man of God, let fire come down from heaven and destroy you and your 50 men. And show sure enough, the fire of God fell from heaven and killed them all. They all knew what just happened to their 50 bunkmates, but they did it anyways. They tried to take the situation in their hands when Elijah kept putting it in God's hands. And I see people who do this all the time you see something that's not working or they're not abiding in what God says to do and they wonder why they end up in the same place and without over and over and over stop trying to accomplish things by your hands call on his name and put it in his hands and sometimes putting stuff in his hands requires you to submit to things you don't like I haven't been harping on it much lately, but I'm going I'm to talk about it a little bit at night. Not that we need it. This is a principle. Tithing. You keep trying to manage your finances how you think you should. When God says, give me the tenth so I can bless the entire thing you've got, because when you give me a tenth, it shows me you trust me with your 90, and I'll make your 90 work past the 100. But we don't like relenting that tenth. Because I don't know what the church is going to do about it. I don't trust that leader. It ain't a, even if they do wrong with your money, it ain't about what they do with your money. It's God. Here is a representation of everything. God forbid I made $100 and I have to give you a $10 bill, God. He says, give me just a tenth of it and I'll show you how the rest works. But we don't like that. We call it religious. And we, and, and we, well, you don't know what my circumstances are. 
That's the point I'm making. God does. Think, let's take another one. Don't take revenge. That sounds good, but when someone does something to you, what, what do we want? And then we do what Elijah didn't do. God, they did this, you bring down fire and take them out. That's not what a, I, you almost just got a loogie. That's not, that, that's not what Elijah did. He said, God, you handle it how you want to handle it. You judge it. I know it's wrong. Now you handle it how you're going to handle it. Are you getting what I'm saying? We say we call on his name, but that's also got to be in how you respond to things, how you manage situations. One thing that I've learned in life is that everything about this life is how do you steward it for the glory of God. How do you steward your, steward your pocketbook? How do you steward your relationships? How do you steward what comes out your mouth? How do you steward what goes into your eyes and your line of sight? Steward it all. Manage it. Some of us are great managers at some things and really bad managers of other stuff. And that's why God says, I need you connected to some people who are great at managing what you're failing at. Not to make you feel less than, but to teach you how to manage. That's called discipleship. You see, discipleship is not, let's just read the Bible together. Discipleship is, let me show you how to live a life in Christ. Okay. So in verse 13, I hope this has been a, okay. Once more, the king sent a third captain with 50 men. Oh my gosh. But this time, the captain went up to the hill and fell to his knees before Elijah. And he pleaded with him, oh man of God, please spare my life and the lives of these, your 50 servants. See how the fire from heaven came down and destroyed the first two groups, but now please spare my life. And then the angel of the Lord said to Elijah, go down with him and don't be afraid of him. So Elijah got up and went with him to the king. You see, the third captain got it right. He came in a humble position because he recognized the true authority and who God really was. Not Baal, Yahweh. And I love how God, how God turns this around. <coughs> Elijah didn't go confront Ahaziah by himself. This time he went with the captain and 50, what did he call them? Servants. He sent 50 military men to go get Elijah, and Elijah came back with the military men submitting to him. I want to point something out. The last time Elijah called down fire from heaven, when I say the last time, I meant before these twice times, he called down fire from heaven, and the very next thing he did was he, did, he ran from a threat from who? Jezebel. And he begged God, take my life, I'm done, I cannot take this anymore. And this time, fire comes down two more times. And all Elijah did was he got caught sitting on a hill after a king said, go get him. This church is a picture of true redemption. God says, even though you doubted me and turned on me and questioned me, if you'll turn back to me and call on my name, I'll do even greater things than before. Well, what do you mean when you say that? A lot of us are at this place sometimes where 
we're doing all the things for God, and then something goes horribly wrong. We give up. Take my life, God. I'm no good. I can't do this anymore. I can't do this job. I can't minister. I can't do this relationship. I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't. There's so many I can'ts. But after Elijah finally turned to God, not only did God say, okay, now you're ready for my assignments, but what he thought was great when he called down fire to burn up an altar the first time while he's sitting on a hill, it happened twice in a matter of hours. I will, God says, true redemption is I will do even greater things. You ran to me last time because of a great thing, but if you repent and turn to me, I'll do even greater things because I'm not going to look at where you messed up at. I'm going to look at where you are right now, and that is a redeemed son or daughter of the living God. So Elijah said to the king in verse 16, <clears throat> this is what the Lord says, why did you send messengers to Beelzebub, the God of Ekron, to ask whether you will recover? Is there no God in Israel to answer your question? We've read this twice by this point. Therefore, because you've done this, you'll never leave the bed you're lying on. You will surely die. Look at that. The same messengers that the messengers brought him, but this time it was Elijah himself. The message didn't change just because Ahaziah didn't want to hear it. The message didn't change just because the messenger was different. God's like, you may not like what I've got to say, but at some point you're going to hear it. At some point, you're going to have the opportunity to turn from your ways and seek me. Unfortunately, Ahaziah did not seek God. In verse 17 and 18, it says, So Ahaziah died just as the Lord had promised to Elijah. And since Ahaziah did not have a son to succeed him, his brother Joram became the next king. This took place in the second year of the reign of Jehoram, son of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah. The rest of the events in Ahaziah's reign, everything he did are recorded in the book of the history of the kings of Israel. You see, the prophecy was fulfilled. And again, Elijah proved as a, he was proved as a man seeking God and nothing else. All Ahaziah had to do after leading in an evil manner was call upon the one true God. At some point, we've got to stop calling on everything else in our lives. At some point, he has got to be the one we run to. At, at, you know, at some point, we'll learn the idea of if I run to God, he'll give me an answer. And then when I want it confirmed and I go to a pastor or an elder or a friend that's seeking God or a family member seeking God, what they will say will sound like the God you just spoke to already instead of asking opinions and then saying, God, which one was you? See how backwards we get that? All Ahaziah had to do was call upon his name. But there's something about calling on the name Lord that I want to talk about before we close. And it's in Matthew 7, 21 through 23. Not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, we, now I've taught an almost an hour about calling his name, calling his name, calling his name. And then Matthew comes up and says, but not everyone who calls on my name will enter the kingdom of heaven. You see, I, I want to make sure I give you a full truth. Only those who actually what?
do the will of my Father, and heaven will enter. You see, you can't just call out his name. When you call out his name and he gives you assignments and he gives you follow-throughs, you got to do something. On judgment day, many will say to me, verse 22, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name and cast demons in your name, cast out demons in your name, perform many miracles in your name. And I, let me just stop there because I, I want you to understand, that there is power in the name. And you, may not, you might not know who you're calling upon, but in that name, demons have to flee from it. Think, think about it. When, when, when the demon uh, came back in, in, in the story, said, well, well, why aren't you fleeing? And the, the demon said, well, I know you, I, I know this dude, I know Paul, I, I know Jesus, but I, I, don't, I don't know your name. Right? Verse 23, but I will reply, I never knew you. Get away from me, you who break God's laws. Oh, did it just talk about laws in the New Testament? You see, when you call on his name, he's going to give you assignments, and he's already given us a bunch of follow-throughs. So the thing about calling on his name is you've got to be ready to walk in his ways. You notice when Elijah called on the name of God, God always gave them something to say, something to do, someone to go to. There was always an assignment. There was always, will you do my will? The fact of the matter is, I think one of the biggest mistakes that spirit-filled, charismatic, whatever you want to kind of church call churches that we might be classified as, I think one of the biggest mistakes we've made is we've taught people how to cry out his name but not how to follow through with what happens after you cry out. We can come in here and yell all day and have the best worship session. We can have a great praise team and we can do worship for 24 hours. But if you don't go out of here and actually do the will of the Father, it meant nothing. I don't want to lead a church who yells and shouts the name of Jesus without following through with carrying his name into every situation. In, the, in this amazing book that we have, there is literally answers to anything you need. And half of us know every team coach and statistics, and we know the sales at, you know, Macy's, and, you know, and we know the, the best restaurants, and we know... But if I said, can you quote Acts 2.11? I'm not telling you to go memorize this thing. I'm just trying to make a point. It's all here. Yet half of our lives don't even come close to this. You can call out his name all, all day, but he says, call on my name and do my will. Call on my name and seek my ways and follow me. And the crazy thing is, we'll say, well, that's way too hard. And God says, well, I'll give strength to the powerless. For those who are weak, I, I will make you strong. God says, I know what I'm asking is hard for you to do. Because you've got to retrain your mind. You've got to retrain your flesh. You've got to retrain everything. 
but seek me and you will find. So let's call upon the name of Jesus. Let's, let's really understand that he is available. But let's not take advantage of it by not following through with the will of the Father. He has a plan for each and every one of your lives. He's got, he has assignments for you. Do you realize it's not will he give me an assignment? It's you've got one, but have you followed through with it? It could be something as simple as forgiving someone that you don't want to forgive. It, 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 it could be something big, like God calling you to chase a dream you feel in your heart. I don't know what it is for you, but he has assignments, and you've probably got a glimpse of what they are. So I just encourage you, call on his name and follow through. Amen? Amen. Let's pray.